Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. In our continuing We Remember series, we remember Baseball Hall of Fame pitcher Tom Seaver. He passed away in 2020. Seaver pitched for 20 seasons in the big leagues and is one of the greatest pitchers to play the game. He retired with 311 wins and a 2.86 ERA. He broke in with the Mets, but he also played for the Reds, the Mets again, the White Sox, and finally Boston. Mets owners Fred and Jeff Wilpon said in a statement, Tom was nicknamed the franchise and Tom Terrific, and Tom was simply the greatest Mets player of all time. Seaver was named the National League Rookie of the Year. He won three Cy Young Awards, a World Series, and was selected to 12 All-Star Games. He also threw a no-hitter and once struck out 19 batters in a game. Fellow Hall of Famer Hank Aaron once said about Seaver, he's the toughest pitcher I have ever had to face. And now we remember Tom Seaver. You talk about winners and you talk about champions. No doubt about it, this man was both. Tom, good evening. Good to have you tonight on Sports Byline. Ron, thank you very much. Nice to be here. Were you surprised by the, uh, I guess, the percentage of votes? Everybody's talking about it being the all-time great percentage. Were you surprised by that? I was absolutely uh, flabbergasted with it. I uh, uh, Very seldom am I left speechless, but uh, the night that Jack Lang called me, uh, I believe it was a Tuesday night at my house, and he said, congratulations, you're now a member of uh, of the Hall of Fame, and he said, you want the good news. And I was still digesting what he had said about being a member of the Hall of Fame. And he said something about percentage or whatever, and I, and I said, what, Jack? And he said, you got the highest percentage ever. And I said, no, that can't be right. And I had a group of people that were uh, sharing the evening with me at my house, and I had my head in my hands, and they thought the word was that I didn't make the Hall of Fame, and they couldn't. <laughs> they couldn't understand it, and I said, "Finally, after a couple of minutes, it it, it finally got through my thick skull." And I said, "I told everybody in the room. I said I have two announcements. I said uh, the good news is that we're in the Hall of Fame, and the better is news. Uh, the better news is that we uh, at the highest percentage of anybody that has ever been elected. So yes, indeed, it was a it was a phenomenal evening, and uh, I was for a couple of minutes. I was absolutely speechless." 
You know, it's interesting when I take a look at all the things that you've done, and I've already uh, referred to the 19 strikeouts, the no-hitters, the Cy Youngs and everything. It would be very hard for me if I were Tom Seaver to pick out something that meant so much to me because there have been so many highlights. Was there anything in particular, though, that after you walked away from the game that you reflected upon and maybe it was not the obvious that meant a lot to Tom Seaver? Well, I think there, there, it's a question I'm asking an awful lot, obviously, and there are two things uh, that stand out in, in if I were to put them in order one, two, or two and one, it was, you could really interchange them. Uh, one from a personal accomplishment standpoint that uh, winning the 300th game at Yankee Stadium uh, in front of oh, 50,000 plus people and, and having my father there and my family there and my in-laws there, et cetera, and uh, uh, in front of the fans that I had performed in front of for so many years, and it was just you know, it was a very, very special day, and uh, it was, you know, it, it, it was a culmination of the end of, not the end, but a goal that's, that, that became a realization, you know, after 17 years in the big leagues. And the other, the other point that I think is very obvious uh, is uh, the 1969 World Championship team with the New York Mets. I think uh, if I'm going to be remembered for anything, I think it, was, it would be those two individual things that happened in my career. The thing that I find interesting is that a man that has accomplished as much as you have in baseball, you'd think he probably would play for only one team his entire 20-year career, or maybe two, but you played with five different teams. That's kind of an unusual aspect of what you've done. Well, actually, I played for four different teams. I played for the New York Mets and, and, uh, on t- during two tenures, but uh, I played ten and a half years for New York and then Cincinnati and back to um, New York for a year, then on to Chicago for two and a half years and a half year in Boston. But, um, you know, I think there was a point in my career that I thought that I would play my entire career for the New York Mets. Uh, but all of a sudden I was working for a guy that I wasn't crazy about working for, and, and it turned out that he wasn't crazy about having me work for him. And, and uh, it was time to move on and go someplace else and work for a while. And in hindsight, I'm very happy it happened that way. I got exposed to different organizations, different cities. Uh, the cities of Cincinnati were totally different than the New York metropolitan area, the city of Chicago, which is a terrific city. And um, I got different. Got to play in both leagues and got to play with some other outstanding players, guys like Johnny Bench and Carlton Fisk and Jim Rice in Boston. So um, in the long run, I think it was probably – the most beneficial thing for me. From a physical standpoint, Tom, what was the secret to your success and your longevity? Because one of the things uh, people say is that your power came from your lower body strength and also the low pitching motion that you took full advantage of uh, being able to power off the mound. Well, I would say probably it's an understanding of the mechanics of pitching exactly what you talk about. Uh, uh, incorporating the bigger muscles in the lower half of the body and not putting the entire amount of strain on on the upper part uh, in the arm and the shoulder where the smaller muscles are and and uh, I think if you're going to have success over a long period of time and then it's going to be true today and it's going to be true 10 years from today if you're going to pitch 250 plus innings for an extended period of time then you're going to have to incorporate the big muscles of the body and that that probably you know I had if I had a good work ethic um, uh, I think if you look at a guy like a Nolan Ryan, his mechanics and his work ethic, I was I was very much the same in the sense of the way I went I went about my business. Yeah, mm. your right knee would regularly rub the dirt on your delivery. Was that something that developed uh, early, say uh, little league, or did Rod Dino oh, get a hold of you? I don't know. I, I don't know where that happened. And, and, <laughs> 
it became say it became such a uh, focal point in my career. The standpoint uh, sometimes I would come out of the bullpen on days that I you know was throwing and I wouldn't have a thing in the bullpen, but I'd reach down and. I'd get some water and I'd get some dirt and I'd rub it on my knee with my hand. So I'd say, well, gee, the guys in the opposing dugout would say, gee, boy, Seaver must be throwing good. Look at his right knee. <laughs> <laughs> so that means a few of those things are little psychological games that you played as well. You know, Tom, another value that I saw of having Tom Seaver on your staff is the fact that uh, I know how teams depend on having that guy, that Haas, the Jack Morris type, if you know what I mean, with Minnesota. Well, you know you're going to give the ball to him. The guy's going to go out there, probably get you into the eighth inning, maybe a, a complete game, and you also know more times than not he's going to come out a winner rather than a loser. Did that uh, Was that a major factor in a lot of the championships or a lot of the teams that you played on that had successful seasons? Well, I, th- I think the biggest thing, one of the things that I tried to accomplish, and I, it was probably true from the time that I really felt settled and had my feet on the ground in the big leagues, was that every time that I went to the mound, I was going to give my club a chance to win. That was my objective. Uh, I tried to pitch a shutout every time that I would go out there, and if I gave up a run, I would try to pitch a one-run ball game and try to keep the ball game where my ball club had a chance to win. Uh, I I think that was probably an underlying factor, uh, an underlying objective every time that I did go to the mound. And I think that's what your big guys do. And when it's their turn to pitch, they go out and they give you seven-plus innings every time they go out there, and they give your ball club a chance to win. You know, even with a couple of runs, you got a chance to win. You score seven runs, you really got a chance to win. But you know, your consistent guy is going to be out there, and he's going to be giving up two runs or three runs or four runs, and then maybe three runs and two runs in a sequence of six games. And you're going to have a chance to win every game. And I think that's what your big guy does. Not in the sense you go out and put a shutout one day, and then five days later you give up seven runs. Talk about the three different Cy Young uh, award-winning years, 69 first of all. Well, 69, a big year. Um, obviously, for me, I was 15 and and 7 at one point and finished up 25 and 7. I won my last 10 in a row. And Jerry uh, Jerry Kuzman won his last uh, 9 out of his last 10. So the two of us going down the stretch run won 19 out of 20 ball games, and we were very strong going down the stretch. And uh, I was very consistent and pitched very well. Um, and had uh, had great defense behind me, and then pitched well enough to get uh, you know to win the first of my Cy Young awards in the championship year, and, and I got every first place vote except one. Uh, one of the voters in Atlanta voted for Phil Necro, who had won uh, deservedly so. He had won 23 games, and they had won their division championship. Um, 73. Uh, 73 um, uh, was it was a year that. Um, I don't probably was not my best year of pitching. It was certainly wasn't a year that I pitched as well as I did in 1971, which is probably my probably my best year in the big lakes. Uh, but pitched well enough to win, and then again in '75. So I mean, you know, you start talking, you're in the same league as other guys that won three three Cy Young awards, and and uh, it's just nice to be in that category. You played with some players that, uh, you know, every time I talk to a player that's walked away from any particular game, they always talk about the camaraderie and the specialness of it. Were there obviously some players that uh, you think about that really meant a lot, that maybe contributed towards your success in a way that, that maybe was not obvious to the average person? Well, I, through, through the course of a 20-year career, I mean, a lot of people may not realize and how, how fortunate I was 
uh, I had to play with some outstanding catchers. Uh, in the first 10 years of my career, I had Jerry Grody as a catcher, and he was an outstanding. Uh, and I uh, emphasized the word outstanding. He was an outstanding defensive catcher. And I moved on to Cincinnati, and I had Johnny Bench as a catcher for five years. And then I went to Chicago, and uh, Carlton Fisk was my catcher for, for two and a half years. And I developed a very good working relationship with those individuals. And uh, they were had a, a very important impact on my career. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. Tom Seaver has joined us. And you, Tom, let me take you back to USC. You uh, played for a guy down there that's kind of a legend, is he not, in college baseball and still hanging around, Rod Dato. Yeah, I forgot his name. What was his name again? Rod Dato, I believe it was. <laughs> <laughs> what effect did he have on your career? How could you How could you forget the Tiger, right? Uh, no I'll tell way you. you could forget the Tiger. Rod Dato, uh, I think if I had to uh, uh, to sum up what Rod Dato meant to my career, and I played really for one year uh, for Rod in 1965, a little bit at the start of the 1966 season, but I think, one, a, a real true enthusiasm for the game, and maybe more importantly, uh, the mental aspect of the game and how important that is, what divides uh, the good player from the outstanding player is really the, the, the mental uh, input into how he goes about his business. And, uh, you know, he, Rod Dato has been uh, the number one, really, ambassador for baseball on the amateur level and has done so much for collegiate athletics and collegiate baseball and working to get baseball into the Olympics as an exhibition sport and, and having the involvement and the love of the game. He has been one of the great contributors to the game of baseball. USC, for a long time, they dominated college baseball. Was that a championship year when you were there? No, actually it wasn't. We didn't even win our division title, which is a great disappointment. It was right after that I think they had won in Omaha. When I went down in 65, I think they had won in 64. 
but uh, all the the the, uh, the veteran pitchers graduated, and we had uh, three or four young uh, sophomore pitchers on the team, and and end up not winning. The other players actually had all come back, but uh, it turned out to be uh, probably one of the most disappointing years for Rod, and and uh, and I'm, I'm sorry that we did not win. If you want to go to a party and uh, stump somebody on a trivia question, ask him who the current Major League manager is that uh, one time was a bat boy for USC. Do you have any idea who that was? Oh, wow, no. Well, it was funny. I was doing a, a television broadcast of USC's games, and I was kind of thumbing through one of the press books. It's Sparky Anderson, believe it or not. Oh, yeah, George Sparky Anderson, you're right. <laughs> That's right. You know, Tom, when it comes to somebody like yourself, a pitcher that, uh, you know, the managers are going to deal with a veteran pitcher a little bit differently than they would and a successful pitcher than what they would, say, from a rookie pitcher, how did the various managers that you played for uh, deal with you as far as letting you uh, go maybe a little bit longer if you were struggling a little bit or, uh, you know, just dealing with you generally? I think one of the things that the managers did uh, and one of the relationships that I had with the manager was that when he came to the mound, I was going to be totally honest with him. I respected the position uh, that he was in, that he was, he was the boss and making the decisions, but I, I also felt that um, he should get as much information and input from me as to my situation and how I felt before he would make a decision. Um, I, had, uh, I had that kind of working relationship with the good managers, with the managers that I really like to work for. Gil Hodges was that way. Um, I had I had some trouble with in the relationship that I had with Tony La Russa initially uh, when I was with the Chicago White Sox. We sat down and talked about it, and after that, he would come out and ask me how I felt, and I would tell him one way or the other, and then he would make his decision. Sometimes it was, was what I wanted to hear, and sometimes not. But at least he, you know, he respected me for how I felt and the experience that I had. John McNamara, who I played for. Would always come to the mound and said, "How you feel?" And I'd say, and "I might say I feel great. I'm doing okay." And he said, "I think you've had it, and we'll see you later." And then I would, you know, that, but at least they would wait and, and get some of my input. And I think that was a respect to how I went about my business and the really uh, objective feeling that I had toward how I was doing in any one particular game. At Bed Three Six Five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. 
Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. Tom Seaver has joined us, and you and Indeed will open up the lines around the country at 1-800-421-PLAY, 1-800-421-7529 if you'd like to talk with Tom. Tom, who's going to introduce you at the induction ceremonies? I don't know. As a matter of fact, I don't know uh, uh, many of the particulars about uh, what's going to happen at the Hall of Fame, and I'll be learning that in the next, uh, oh, probably in the next couple of months, uh, trying to find out from a personal standpoint how many family and friends will be there, et cetera, and, and trying to get the logistics of, of helping all of them get in and, and get out of the upstate New York area. Uh, but it's going to be an exciting uh, period of my career in life, and believe me, I will enjoy every moment of it. Okay, let's go to the phones, and let's kick it off in New Jersey. Bill, go ahead. You're on the air. Yeah, this, uh, Ron? Yes. Okay, can I talk to Tom Seaver? He's right, right here. here. Okay, Tom, wow, I'm a Met fan going back to 69, and like that was just a tremendous year. Yes, it was. Uh, what I'd like to say is, um, uh, do you feel that your career at Chase Stadium was... Uh, the best place where you really liked to pitch or when you took the mound and say other ballparks did you feel like wow if i had my career here i could go on and win 600 <laughs> i never felt 600 no <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um i enjoyed pitching um i enjoyed pitching in, in boston Fenway park uh, I thought that was a great place to play baseball. I enjoyed pitching in in uh, bigger ballparks because it helped me keep the ball in the ballpark. Uh, I enjoyed pitching in uh, White Sox Park, Wrigley Field. I like some of the older ballparks. I really like pitching in in uh, uh, Tiger Stadium uh, in Detroit. I, I, I like, from the standpoint of the history of the game of baseball, I, I really enjoy. Uh, I enjoyed my experience and. Uh, pitching in some of the older ballparks, especially uh, in the American League. One of the other ballparks I enjoyed was Dodger Stadium before they moved the fences in. You know, I always found it interesting at uh, the Mets Stadium because it was, uh, I guess, the best way to describe it, it kind of an agitated situation. You had the Jets landing, of course, there all the time. And then in the summer, you go into July, it would be, what, about 90 degrees when you started pitching and the humidity would be the same? <laughs> 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 I, I often thought it took a very special person to be able to endure that. Well, I think it was an advantage to the uh, to the home ball club there, no question about it. I never really uh, related to the Jets and the noise, etc. Um, uh, when I got traded to Cincinnati and came back, I found them to be very, uh, uh, very bothersome, and I really noticed them. Mm-hmm. But you, when you play there every day, it's like you know, it's like anything else. You just uh, you learn to adapt to what is the normal procedure for uh, for where you're working. And when I went away and came back, I really noticed it. Okay, go ahead, Norfolk, Virginia, Tim. Yes, I was hoping that Tom would talk about some of the superstitions that he had, and I'll take my answer off the air. Were you superstitious, Tom? Um, I was superstitious, uh, um, I think my superstition was about how I would go about my preparation. I was very, I was very conscious about diet, I was very conscious about, uh, the amount of work and the types of work, the amount of sleep that I would get in between starts. I think those were, 
those were the stu- uh, superstitions that I was concerned about. Tom, being in a, a major media market like New York, you handled it so gracefully. And I think, as I said at the outset of uh, you joining us tonight, one of the things that I always liked about you is that you were very approachable. The fact that you played college baseball at USC, which is in the Los Angeles area, and maybe you had some of those influences, did it make it a little bit easier for you to deal with, say, New York? Well, I think there's no question about that. Plus, I was 21 years old when I started playing baseball, and I had been in the Marine Corps and uh, had been living away from home. I think I had a certain amount of experience uh, of, oh, adjustment. I mean, I wasn't a 17-, 18-year-old kid coming out of high school going off to play professional baseball. When I started playing pro baseball, I was 21 years old. So I think from that standpoint, the experience of USC playing for Rod Dato uh, living in L.A., living in a big city, uh, definitely a, a a factor that was a positive in my corner. Okay, Steve, New Britain, Pennsylvania. Yes, hi, Tom. I'd like to first of all say okay, um, congratulations Thank on your you. Hall of Fame. Thank and I'd also like you to comment on some items that I have in my Tom Seaver collection. Oh. I have an item that um, you and Johnny Bench recorded an um, album with the Cincinnati Pops. Do you remember doing that? I do. I most certainly do. Uh Uh-huh. I also have a copy of the Journal of the American Medical Association where you're on the cover. It's a painting by a Dr. Joe Wilde. Yep. Yep. Uh, Joe Wilder, yep. uh Uh-huh. Did you enjoy that with you? Yes, very much so. And I did uh, did one of the pieces in one of Joe Wilder's books. Yes, that I have. And one of the the things that I, uh, one of the things that, Playing in New York, and we're talking about playing in New York, and one of the things that it, that allows you to do, it's one of the reasons uh, I'm down here in Scottsdale and Phoenix for this art exhibit that uh, I'm opening for American Express here, is that it allows you to do, and the exposure uh, in New York allows you to, to do these other things which are, uh, they're not directly baseball, but certainly they are to continue to be co- connected to baseball. And, I, you know, my association... Uh, with American Express goes back about five years with this art exhibit. We had it in the Bay Area, as a matter of fact, Ron. We had it over in Oakland. Uh, I remember it, yes. Yeah? Yeah. Tom, I uh, would expect that you probably think 1971 was your best season overall. 20 of 10, a 1.76 ERA, and 289 strikeouts. Do you agree? Uh, from a pitching standpoint, yes. Uh, Ron, you're exactly right. Um, I had t- uh, funny. You know, I can think back on on that year, and uh, some of those numbers stick in my mind. And I really wasn't a number guy, but there were there were 28 games that season that I gave up two runs or less, and then there were four others that I gave up three runs or less. Uh, it was just uh, I, I just seemed to to be in sync every time I went to the mound. I had about four games that I did not pitch well, and I'm talking about I would give up four or five runs. But, uh, I mean, I gave up, there were 28 games, and I gave up two runs or less, and it's, it was the best year that I pitched. Yes. That's, that's amazing. And you know what's uh, interesting about that is is that when you're going like that, and then all of a sudden, if you hit a rough spot, you have, you wonder to yourself, having been a pitcher myself, you just wonder, you know, what what am I doing differently? Well, one of the things that I, I try to tell young kids uh, young pitchers have come along, and and I always felt that uh, <clears throat> excuse me felt that uh, baseball that, that pitching uh, uh, to be exact was a creative art and is a creative art. And one of the things that you have to do is have a good foundation. And it's really applicable to uh, anything you do in sports or in business or whatever you want to do. Is that if you do not have a good foundation, do the basics, the ABCs, the one, two, three. Uh, the first three steps correct, 
correctly, then nothing can be built on top of it. And one of the things when I did was not going well, uh, if I was not in sync, if I wasn't thinking correctly, if my mechanics were bad or whatever, I would go back right to bottom line. And this really reverts back to raw data. Uh, we were talking about it before, and the importance of a raw data. They understand the importance of what makes a pitcher effective. And I don't care if you're playing Little League, Babe Ruth League, uh, Junior College, College, or Minor League Baseball, or Big League Baseball, that what makes a pitcher effective and the rule applies to any of those levels so that you have to throw strikes and you have to throw low strikes. Those two things have to be there for that foundation to be strong. And those young kids, I'll say, listen, I don't care what you do, how creative you are, whatever, if you don't do steps one and two, nothing on top is going to be stable and it's all going to crumble down. So and when I was having my rough spots, that's exactly what I would try to do. I'd try to throw strikes and throw low strikes. Uh, the three most feared hitters, I would say McCovey, Stargell, and Ted Simmons were probably the most difficult hitters for me to face. And the three most exciting games, uh, winning my 300th game, winning the, uh, uh, winning the fourth game. I was trying to decide whether it was the first game or the fourth game. Uh, the 1969, well, I'll pick the fourth game because we won that game. <laughs> I won't pick the first game because we lost. <laughs> but I'm sure I was more nervous. Uh, the fourth game, uh, the 1969 World Series, that we won 2-1 to one in 10 innings. And probably the other most exciting game, uh, I would bet you the 1967 All-Star Game in Anaheim, California, uh, where I pitched the bottom of the 15th, 15th inning, the National League won 2-1, to one, uh, Tony Perez had hit a home run in the top of the 15th, and Walter Alston, the manager, called me in from the bullpen to save it. Uh, and I was a rookie, uh, half a year in the big leagues. And a year, yeah, Ron, you're going to love this. A year and a half before that, I was playing for Rod Dato at USC, and all of a sudden, <laughs> now I'm coming in and Anaheim to save the game for the National League. And that was, uh, that was a pretty exciting moment. I think the first thing that I would tell you, um, Working with youth groups, I think there are two things that I would tell you, and I think both of them are very important. The very first thing is to have fun at the game of baseball, not to take it so seriously that you don't have fun. And two, let your kids, let the kids 9 or 10 years old play all the positions, and that way learn about the game of baseball. Don't become too specific uh, too early in the game. Go ahead and learn how to play second. Learn a little bit about the outfield. And if you have a very brave soul, put him behind the plate and let him catch for a little bit. <laughs> well, I think that's probably right, Ronnie. There's no question about that. I mean, I've thought about it off and on for the last month or so, however long it's been, and you wonder. Uh, it's the kind of thing, it only happens once in your life. You want it to be right. How about your family? How do they feel about this? Ah, oh, they're kind of blasé about it. <laughs> That's what happens when you have teenagers, right? <laughs> we remember Tom Seaver on Sports Byline. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, 
Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.